just want to welcome those of you who have uh, joined us here in person and those who are joining us online. So glad that you are here and a part of the service today. Uh, we are, uh, we say this every Sunday, and again, I think I say this more as a reminder to myself because it's easy for me to get distracted into all of the details and all of the trees that appear into life. Uh, but the reason that we exist, the reason that we gather, the reason we do groups, the reason that we serve and we give is because we want everyone to experience God's unconditional love. And we believe that God's unconditional love is found in a person, and that person's name is Jesus. And we have spent this entire year, we are wrapping up an entire year of focusing on the person of Jesus. And we are in the middle of the last series of what we have done all year, and we've called this the light of Christmas. And we've taken a little different approach than the traditional Christmas story. We actually went back to the beginning of the book of John, which we've spent this entire year on. And, and John has this unique approach to how he introduces his book. H how many of you guys are um, into the Christmas movie watching season? Anybody? Anybody? Like, have, anybody have like a list of like the must watch Christmas shows? I know that we do as a family. We kind of collaborate, come together and say these are what we're going to watch. And, you know, we've been watching some of these shows and, and don't watch a ton of movies, but it just reminded me as we've been going through this that a lot of movies have these trailers, right? They kind of give you the highlights of what you can expect. Some, they throw in little clips of what you can see. And, and as I read through uh, John, the opening part of John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 again, what this feels like to me is a little bit of like a movie trailer. Like, like John has written this trailer for what he's going to talk about in his entire story about Jesus. And, and I... I read it, I've got this weird imagination, so as I read it this week, I read it in the, verse, in the voice of James Earl Jones in my head, at least, and then I thought of these, like, these captions, like, flashing across the screen, so picture, like, James Earl, uh, James Earl Jones's voice, you know, John tells us about who Jesus is in these big terms, you know, he starts this, John chapter 1 with, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he says that Jesus has always been. He, he's always existed. Like, Jesus is, didn't just, like, flash on the, on the, on, in history in the manger. He's always existed. Jesus has always been. He was with God, and he was God. He himself, Jesus, is God. Jesus is creator. All things were made through him and by him and for him. And, and also, and John really focuses on, on this imagery that Jesus is light. That he is light. That he dispels the darkness of sin and separation and death. Jesus comes in and he chases all of those things away. That he himself is light. And Jesus is so great. That, the great, that his greatness and his significance makes John the Baptist, as Dustin said it a couple weeks ago, JTB, he makes John the Baptist the greatest prophet of all times because he's the one who proclaims, that he's the one who declares that Jesus has come. So today we're going to look at the conclusion of this movie trailer. And it's found in John chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. He says this, Out of his fullness, his fullness being Jesus, out of his fullness, out of his completeness, out of everything that he is and why he's come and what he has done, out of his fullness, we have all received grace 
in place of grace already given. Latch on to that word, grace already given. For the law was given, was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God as in, at, and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So the first thing that we see in this closing trailer is that God's law is grace. God's law is grace. And you're, you're like, how in the world can law and grace be the same thing? Because John says, he refers to law as grace already given. And, and often, often we see the law and grace as opposed to one another, like they're opposites, but they're not. And, and what I want to do is look back in the Old Testament to Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the law originally to, the, his, Israel, to his people, to the nation of Israel. But before we get into that, I want to give a little bit of background in history. So bear with me. I'm going to cover a few hundred years in a few minutes, okay? So God comes to Abraham, and he makes, them, makes Abraham this promise that through Abraham, he's going to make him a great nation, that all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. He makes this promise to Abraham. He fulfills that promise through a child named Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah. Rebekah and Isaac have a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons through four women. And those 12 sons ultimately become the 12 tribes of Israel. And while Jacob and his 12 sons are still living, there's a great famine that goes throughout the, the land, and they end up migrating down to Egypt. And they settle in Egypt because Egypt has plenty, because one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, was a ruler there, and God had divinely prepared a way for the people to be able to survive and for his people to be able to come and to be able to be provided for in the midst of family. And so through generations, while these tribes, while these sons are in Egypt, God blesses them and they multiply quickly. In fact, they multiply so quick that the neighbor, the, the country that they live in, the Egyptians begin to fear them and so they enslave them. And so for Hundreds of years, the, the Egyptians enslaved this nation of Israel, and they cry out to God for him to send the deliverer. And he does. He sends the person of Moses to deliver them. And this is all really cool stuff. If you're into, like, biblical stuff and history and a little bit of violence, and read, you know, Exodus, 1, uh, Exodus chapter 1 through 20. It's really fascinating stuff, all of this history that happened. And so God leads his children out with, through Moses, and he takes them into the desert in, in front of this mountain named, called Sinai, and this is where God talks to his people. He says this, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you see, God is giving, before he gives the commandments, he's reminding them of something. That, that God delivered them from, from slavery without requiring anything from them. And now they are free. They had done nothing to deserve it. They had done nothing to earn it. And in the starting point materials that we use as part of our introduction to 
who God is and who Jesus is and the starting point materials we use, one of the things it says is it, it talks about the fact that rules or law always assume a relationship. Rules or law always assume that there's a relationship. And so God declares his relationship with the nation before telling the nation what he's required. God gave Israel rules because they belonged to him. He was their God and they were his people. Now get this, the law that, that, that follows this passage, the law that follows this passage was given as a confirmation of this relationship. Not a condition of the relationship, but a confirmation of the relationship that God has with Israel. And after proving himself trustworthy to the nation by delivering them from Egypt, God asked the nation to trust him in return. To see him as the ultimate authority and provider. God did not give, give the Israelites rules as a means by which to establish the relationship. He had already established it. So, how does this apply to us today? How, do, how does law and grace apply to us today? Well, I think the law connects with us in the exact same way today. In, in really two, two ways the, that we see law as grace. One is, as mentioned above, the law has been given to us as a confirmation of this unbelievable relationship that we have with God. You know, he, he's cared enough about us to share with us the way that we should live. In, in relationship, how we, sh how we live with him, in relationship with him, and how we live in relationship with one another. That's what the law does. It kind of gives us that, those guidelines. The law gives us a blueprint for how we were designed and how we were created to live. And, and the law also gives us guardrails so that we know if we step outside of these boundaries, if we, if we try to veer off these guardrails, that we're heading into danger. Like, that is what the law does. Those are all benefits that we receive from God's law. It's a grace that he's given us. It's a confirmation of this unbelievable relationship that he has offered us. But the second thing that the law does, and maybe even more importantly, is the law points us to the need for a savior. The law points us to the need for the savior and the way it does is it shows us how broken we are. I mean even in the 10 simple rules of the 10 commandments. I looked through that list and I I have a hard time keeping those. You know, nobody is able to keep the law. Our sinful nature makes it impossible for us to keep it. And, and this is what Paul is wrestling with when he writes to the Roman church in Romans chapter 7. He, he says this about himself. I relate to this. Maybe you can too. Paul says this in verses 18 and 19. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. That's the Apostle Paul. And neither you or I can keep, the ten, can keep ten sinful commandments. And, and what the law does is it reminds us of the fact that we need a Savior. You see, the limitation of the law is that the law in itself doesn't save us. And keeping the law doesn't save us. Simply being good or moral isn't good enough. The law is God's grace, but it's an incomplete picture of what God's grace is. And so, 
John is saying in this passage when he says that you have received grace in place of grace already given, he's saying that Jesus is the completion of God's grace. Jesus is the completion. He's the fulfillment of the law. He, Hebrews 10.1 says it this way. He says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming and not the realities themselves. You see, God knew that the Israelites would struggle with the law. God knew why he given the law to really show the fact that we aren't good enough, that we can't keep the law. And so what he did for them before Jesus came is he gave the sacrificial system. And every year, the Israelites would bring sacrifices, animal sacrifices to God to offer to him to cover their sins for that year. Year after year after year of making sacrifices to God to cover their sins. And that was just a shadow of what Jesus would ultimately do, that he would come and deliver us from all of our sins for all time. And, and, and this time, God delivers us. You see, Jesus would be the ultimate, ultimate and final sacrifice for our sin. And, and without Jesus, we are slaves to sin. John 8, 34, Jesus himself said, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and everyone who sins is everyone. All of us sin. But just like with the giving of the original law, God delivers us. This time, he delivers us from the ultimate bondage, that of sin, and not just the consequence of sin, which is death, but he, he delivers us from the grip of sin as well. And this is how he delivers us. And this is what we celebrate this time of year. He, com he comes as a baby. He's born of a virgin who's not famous, she's not royal, she doesn't have any kind of social status, and her husband is the same way. He's born in the middle of a nowhere town, in the middle of a place where animals call home. He, he grows up just like you and I, going through all the awkward stages experiencing all the pains of physical, emotional, and mental pains of growing up. He lives a life without sin, even though he's tempted just the same way that each one of us are tempted. He lives a sinless life. He calls a group of sinners and misfits to follow him around, and, and he brings the good news of the kingdom um, that he's come to establish, and then he sends them out to be able to declare this good news, to preach this good news, that he has come to save the world. He, he's wrongly accused by the religious leader, leaders. He's sentenced to die for no reason other than to appease a crowd. And then he willingly goes to the cross and dies to pay the price of our sin, to set us free. This is why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 18, he says, you've been set free from sin, and you become slaves to righteousness. And then, three days after he was crucified, he rose from the dead. He rose himself from the dead, conquering not just sin, but death itself. And through all of this, God once again confirms this relationship with us, that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we are now called 
his children. This is the completion of grace. We are giving something we certainly do not deserve, nor could we ever earn. The right to be called children of God. There's freedom from sin. There's no fear of death. There's a reconciled relationship with God. And then we are given a mission and a purpose to bring his good news to others. And I think it's important to note how John closes this trailer <laughs> at the beginning of his book, of his gospel. John 1.18, he says this, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God. He doubles down on the fact of how he opened it, that Jesus is himself God, as in, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, when I read through this multiple times, that last, like, that last phrase, has, has made him known, doesn't make sense. Like, if you read it, read it over and over, look at different trans, it just, it seems like there's something missing, like they forgot to put a word in or something like that. Really, if you look at this in the original language, it's intentionally left open-ended in the Greek language. It's, it's almost like in our modern day, if we were to put like three dots after known, has made him known, dot, 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 or dash, or colon. Because what John is going to do, this is the way that John introduces his story of who Jesus is, of what he did, of what he has done for us. And I, I think it's important that we not just read the story that, G, that John tells about Jesus. It's so much more than that. It's that John is inviting us to be a part of this amazing story that is continuing to unfold, of what Jesus has brought with his kingdom, with this good news that he has invited us into, and that you and I have this opportunity for this amazing free gift of God's grace. Nothing that we can earn, nothing that we deserve, but something that he has given us in the person of Jesus. Because he has died, because he is resurrected from the dead, that he invites us to accept that free gift, to accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And this morning, we're actually doing two different things that really kind of encapsulate this. One is we're celebrating baptisms this morning. And baptism, if you came this morning uh, to get baptized, to be baptized, I would encourage you to go get ready um, right now. Um, and if you hadn't grabbed a shirt, if you, if you slipped in here, I didn't get to see you, there's shirts back at Connection Point, make sure you grab one of those. So, so baptism, what baptism is, is baptism is this beautiful picture. It's an act of obedience. It's once we've decided to, to commit our lives to Jesus, to give our lives to Jesus, it's this, it's this beautiful picture of identifying with what Jesus has done for us in the fact that we are dead, we are buried in the water, and then we are raised again. That's what the imagery of baptism is. And Jesus has asked us to do that as his followers, that we would identify with him in that way. And so we celebrate baptisms, and we're going to celebrate some this morning. The other imagery that, that he leaves us and the other reminder that he leaves us is communion. And we are going to celebrate. We celebrate communion every week. Communion is a picture of that sacrifice that he has done for us on the cross. 
we, we each week we, partic- we participate and we take the bread, which is, represents his body that was broken for us on the cross, and we take the juice, which represents his blood that was shed for us, and those are in two cups that are on these tables that are in the aisles, and we just invite anybody who follows Jesus to remember him this morning by taking those two cups. Baptism and communion both celebrate this grace that God has given us. And I invite you this morning to go ahead and start grabbing the communion as I pray. And take that back. When you're ready to take it, take it. This band's going to come out and sing another song about how Jesus loves us and what he has done for us while I pray. Father, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you've made for us on the cross. Thank you for the fact that you are a fulfillment of the law, that you've not come to abolish the law, but you are a fulfillment of that law, God. We are so grateful for all that you have done. Father, we are grateful for who you are. We are grateful for the sacrifice that you've made for us. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to transform us to be more and more like Jesus through your Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray and ask these things. Amen.